Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am Danger, and I am joined by Monster. Say hello, Monster. Hello, Monster. Yeah, Monster <laughs> is feeling a little under the weather today, but you know what? We're here, and breaking down things is more important than uh, the quality of your throat mucus. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. There's a real good chance this album's not the only thing that'll break down before the episode's over. <laughs> all right. All right. So on today's episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, we are taking on one of my favorite albums, an album that has actually meant a lot to me over the last uh, 20 years, an album that its full entire entitle, its full entire title is a huge mouthful, more than what I just stumbled over. Coheating Cambrias and Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. <laughs> it's just, mm. it's it's a long, a long It thing. just rolls off the tongue. No, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue. And, you know, one of the complaints that you had when I brought this album to you is that it's long. The songs are long. And so to respond to that, who is one of Monster's favorite bands? Who is Monster's favorite band? 311. Right. I know that. I, I know that. But the people don't. Maybe the people do. I don't know. I have actually, on quite a few of the songs that we're going to talk about, have actually found 311 songs that are longer than that song. So, yeah, I am making a point. <laughs> um, now, Yeah, those are the like three-minute pop songs that are on this record. <laughs> No, there's two no. or three of them. <laughs> no, there's no, there's there. Uh, I've got answers. <laughs> nah, I've got, I've got answers to that. So, three eleven's done a couple, quote unquote. They call them epics that are you know six, seven minutes long. Yeah, usually and, last track of the album, not track one and three and seven and twelve and. No, but we'll get there. Well, I mean, if Operation Ivy does a. <laughs> three minute song that's an epic <laughs> for them so it's it's a little bit different for each band but True. okay monster give me your quick you know give me your impression of this album well um after the heartfelt introduction you gave it i kind of don't want to no go um, for it <laughs> go for it tell me what you got this is not my cup of tea there are a lot of parts within this hour long record that I do like. I had actually had heard this. Uh, I heard this more than I thought I had back when it first came out. Cause as anybody who's listened to an episode or two knows, I've been in a ton of bands that played all kinds of different genres. And around this time I was in a emo screamo kind of rock band. And, uh, which one was that? A lot of, Sorry? Well, so there's two around this time. One, you'll get a kick out of this. One was called Source of Prosperity, which I was yes. in that band for a long time. You know, we had a little bit of a following around here. And then I was in one called Come What May, ah. which was named after this yes. record. And that band had a lot of similarities to, to Coheed. I had heard probably half the record a lot and the other songs a little bit here or there. I get why some of the guys I was playing with liked it so much. But yeah, for me, this this didn't really hook me too much. Okay, that's that's fine. I mean, I first found this band, first heard of this band. Actually, I went to go see The Used many, many moons ago. I think I was a sophomore in high school, and mm -hmm. Coheed opened for them. Now... Just two years ago, I went and saw Coheed and the used open for them. So that was a kind of an interesting, interesting thing yeah. there. But my introduction to them was their concert. And they are an amazing live band. If you ever get a chance to see them live, I highly, highly recommend it. Because, yes, some of their songs are long. And I think a long song makes more sense live than it does on an album. Yeah, I can see that. I yeah. can see this being a, a really solid live show. Oh, It'd be in interesting to watch for sure. Oh, so when we went and saw saw the U's open for them, the next night we actually went and saw the early November open for Anne Berlin, and Ooh. you know it was 
such a disappointment because it was not a bad show by any means, but because we just saw this this band that puts on an amazing live show, like puts in puts so much into the live show, we were severely let down and we were bored. There's a lot of bands that performing live means playing the songs off of your record on stage. But then there's other bands that want to create a whole new experience by performing in front of a crowd. And you can just tell by the theatrical nature of this record, they're one of those kind of live bands. Like, Absolutely. I, I, you can just tell by the lyrics that I won't even pretend to try to understand that there is a, a whole lot going on here that for a diehard fan, it's probably fascinating and it's probably a, a, just a roller coaster ride. For the average listener, it is crazy Scientology shit. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't give I don't it mean Scientology, that. but I get that. I get. I would just sci-fi. Sci-fi, yeah, yeah. sci-fi, and and not even in like a bad way. Like the lyrics, I could understand, and we'll get to one or two songs I, I thought were were kind of interesting and cool and weird. But yeah, I can imagine live. This is this is more of like theatrical performance art more than just a rock band playing their songs. So, okay, I do want to talk about the lyric content a little bit because, you know, when you and I talked about this, you were like, okay, yes, I get it. Lore, lore, lore. Okay, sure. You're not, you're not wrong. And for a diehard fan, it is a bit more of a kick to it. And just like with a previous episode um, with Caroline's Spine, it was steeped in nostalgia for you. And this album is steeped in nostalgia for me. Now, this album. They came out in October of 2003, so almost 20 years ago, has mm-hmm. been a, a staple, has been something that has moved with me and changed with me over, you know, over time. And I have heard different parts of the album in different ways, but I did not know what the story was for a long time. I actually read the, uh, okay, so the In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. That's a section of this overall story. Now, when I saw them, when I first heard them, I bought their CD at their show and I actually got their singer Claudio to sign the CD for me. And he just said to me, see if you can figure out the story. And I was like, what? I don't, there's a story. (laughs) And so then you could bet your ass. I sat down with the booklet from that CD and I picked apart every lyric and I couldn't put together anything. And it's the same thing with this one. And the thing about it is, the more I listen to it, and I listen to this album more times I could count, you know, in every way possible. <laughs> and I never could put together everything for this. I put together general feelings of certain songs. And it wasn't until, like I said, about a year ago that I started, that I picked up the comic. And, you know, Claudio writes the comic that goes along with it. And each album is kind of a story arc for for certain sections of the comic. Now... One of the cool things in reading it, it was that as I was reading it, I was calling back to things from this album and I went back and listened to the album right after I read it. And I was like, okay, a lot of things make more sense, but overall, I love this album before I ever knew the story. You know, I, I don't think he actually published the first story, the first set of the comics for several years after this album came out. And so you know, to me, this was just a great album. But what I will say for the lore of the uh, of the story is the lore, the need to get the lore in, to get the story in, is what hurts this album. And I actually talk about it on several of the songs, but there's little snippets at the end of songs that don't need to be there. A little snippet of something that does not fit the song that is a great song throws off the whole thing. And so if you're able to ignore that little bit, like I've been able to for the last 20 years, then it's a great, great album. Now, the thing that I will say for every Coheed and Cambria album, like this one, the first song is The Ring in Return. It is two minutes, eight seconds long. 
and it is completely unneeded. And it fits, like, the sounds in it and all that fit kind of the opening to the story, but it's just not needed on the album. It's not a good album opener. It's not. This album is full of instrumentation that is extremely well-crafted. The riffs are great. There are certain songs that, you know, the bass, guitar, and snare or, and drums all just fit together. There are certain songs that the guitar and the snare just just shine bright. Every one of these songs has something different about it, you know. But then there's some songs that have that little bit at the end. And then there's just a track or two that's just not needed, in my opinion. I, I think I know what they were going for here. Mm-hmm. But it felt it fell flat. Like it didn't feel like this epic orchestral thing. It felt like uh, it felt like a throwaway track from like a mid tier Zelda game. Like it didn't. It, it. I guess they were probably trying to go for this big epic intro, but it just felt weak to me. And then to go out of that into the beginning of track two and keeping secrets. Just that intro is so slow and quiet that I like that kind of threw me off the first couple of times I listened to it because you're expecting it to come in kind of big and it, it doesn't at all. And that's one of the things about this band that I really appreciate is they do build songs. So since we're jumping into talking about the individual songs, you know, one of the things that I'm going to say just across the board, like we talked about for issues album is every song has some element of new metal and eighties and all. And so it's just to say that over and over again, to me, the instrumentation on this album is wonderfully crafted. I I think that it's, it's great. But again, those little bits where it's like, you know, on track two in keeping secrets, you know, the, uh, the song could have ended at six minutes. At six twenty six, it could have been yeah. there. It actually had two endings. The first one was kind of like a false ending that picked it up, and it's yeah. like that's passable to me. But you know, six minutes twenty six seconds, the song actually fades out entirely, and then it picks back up into yeah. something that really wasn't needed for the end of the song. That just kind of felt like a middle, like the middle of the song, just copy and pasted and put down there. Not not needed. I mean, this is the most prog rock moment of this album. And to me, you said it started slow. I thought it started slow with a good intention of kind of building. And then the, you know, the snare comes in, you know, kind of driving and the guitars start screeching and howling in the background behind his voice. Yeah. And then yeah. it just picks up and and goes. And I love it. This is a personal I, I, favorite of mine. Yeah, I, I like the groove once the kind of slow, moody intro gets going. Mm-hmm. When it switches to that next part around the four-minute mark, I, I, I start to kind of get bored with it. I like the funky little section there in the first half better than the slower, darker second half. And I agree, when it kicks back into, like, the song stops and then the intro starts again, I was sort of like, uh... We're already, we already been here. Like now, and and so I'll I'll go ahead and and show my cards a little bit here. One of my absolute favorite bands is Iron Maiden. They're just, they're right up there. Just a couple notches below 311. But there's two kinds of Iron Maiden. There's Iron Maiden that release a nine track album. That's about 45 minutes long. And then there's the Iron Maiden that releases a 10 track album. That's 75 minutes long. I don't like that Iron Maiden because that Iron Maiden bores me to tears because what they'll do is very similar to this. They're kind of stuck up their own ass a little bit where it's like, this part is so good. Let's play it for three minutes straight and then we'll play it for two more minutes at the end. And now we've got a 12 minute song. It's like if it serves the song to be long and to do different things, I'm cool with it. But 
sometimes it's just too much. And I feel like they're doing it just to do it as opposed to, like you said, in in Coheed's case, a lot of the length is due to exploring the lore and exploring the lyrical content. So they can kind of justify it that way. And and Iron Maiden would say the same. Everything Bruce Dickinson yeah. writes is about swords and dragons right. and Indians. So I get that. But as an outsider coming in, it's hard to to get wrapped up in that. Yeah. And I know that the two things that actually turn people off from this band is his voice, which, you know, in my opinion, is um, a hurdle to greatness. You know, it's it's a to me, it's a feature, not a bug. Right. Absolutely. One hundred percent. You know, Getty Lee has one of the most distinct voices and Rush is one of the most underrated bands, in my opinion. If you yeah. haven't listened to Clockwork Angels, it's one of the heaviest damn albums you'll ever hear in your life. So go listen to about Rush coming up. Sorry. <laughs> I said, I got some stuff about Rush coming up. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is actually the uh, the uh, track two in Keeping Secrets is, and I'm just going to shorten a lot of the names because I don't need to, yeah. you know, yeah. we're going to call them Coheed, not Coheed and Cambria because why do we need a conjunction in there? But so this to me, like I said before, is one of the most prog rock moments of the album. And it's up front. And this song does what we've talked about that an opening track could be. And yes, I'm calling this the opening track because I have very quickly gotten it. I very quickly got into where it's like, I, yeah, we don't need to listen to the first track. Yeah. I really think the first track on the album should be taken off. And it really does what is, what the band should do, which is set up what the album's about to be. And this song does it. Now I'm not going to talk about every song, but I do want to hit on, on a few, of course, number three cuts marked, in the March of Men. Listening to the world around the outside pressing in. Are you ready in my mind? Singers giving names and the last word they assign. Now, this was another one of those uh, that the title didn't make sense to me until I read the story. <laughs> but, you know, there's a part of me that appreciates the weird of a movie or a, uh, an album, and it's like, I, I can get behind it. So, yeah. you know, there are certain things within this album that I was able to kind of pick up on. And this song to me, it, I could, I could kind of piece together the story and this, the, the story of the song, which I come to find out actually was true, was a song about sacrifice really. And it was where the protagonist of the song sacrificed himself to interrogation to save, you know, people, a, a person within his, his group, now, I'm not going to go into naming parts of the lore. That's just what I'll put together. And this song feels like what I later found a strike feels like in a game. You know, it it feels like there's nothing grand or triumphant. It's not bold and empowering, but it's impactful, in my opinion. So one of the things about it that makes it impactful for me is this is where I realize that a song does not have to have sensical lyrics. and you know, lyrics that actually rhyme and all it's all about the talent of the singer to deliver them correctly. And Claudio does that here. The guitars on this song are excuse. I, I actually um, watched uh, the trailer for the new fast and furious. So the guitars here are fast and furious and drive the song. <laughs> I, and <laughs> as, as I, put, I wrote it, I was like, you know what? We're leaving that. So, the guitars are fast and furious where they need to be. They're not the entire song, but the snare is tight and the tone is great on it. The snare really jumps out to me on this album, on this song. Yeah, actually, uh, I like this one. I do. This one actually gave me a little bit of that bench, say hello to sunshine vibes. Yeah. Claudio gave me a little bit of uh, Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw vibes with his mm-hmm. not tone, but sort of his delivery. Yeah. It, there's a tonal shift around the three minute mark that, that kind of works for me. I like this one a lot. I don't know if you have anything else to say about it. Cause I was going to say the next one, three evils. That one works for me too. I, I like that one. 
that's when they start to kind of go into the more pop punk of it all. And my personal taste, I feel like that's where they really shine because for as complex as they can be, they can still write. Hold on. Before we go too far into that, there was one more thing I had. This song is number three on the album. It clocks in at five minutes, one second on 311's album music track number four paradise clocks in at five minutes two seconds so not not one of the later last hidden tracks and and all so go on (laughs) yeah but that's like this is one of the shortest songs on this album that doesn't prove your point that proves mine (laughs) actually actually what i was going to say is um so Three Evils, 100% agree with you. This is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Um, yeah. I love this song. This is a song that I can put on just about any time and pretty much any mood, and I'm good with it. This is a perfect example, in my opinion, of Claudio making simple lyrics into solid hooks. Again, the ending is unnecessary. <laughs> Well, so I was going to say that's one of those songs where I was like listening and I enjoy it and I like it. And then that scream comes out of nowhere and I always forget it's coming and it freaks me the hell out every single time. Okay, so I get the album's about story, but do we really need a substantial part of a substantial track on an album, a substantial song on an album of a storm, a dinging, a person (laughs) crying and a monster screeching? No, I do not like it when bands put sounds in songs that are not part of the song, that are not music. Like, I absolutely hate it when bands put police sirens in songs, because if I'm driving and listening to your song, God, I hate you. Yeah, Yeah, that's worse. It's just not needed. I mean, this song could have been four minutes and 36 seconds. Perfectly acceptable length of a song. But it wasn't. It wasn't. (laughs) Because we had to get... That storm and the screeching, this the lore hurt this song. This outside of it, perfect song in my opinion. I mean, uh, the title's long: three evils embodied in love and shadow. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, everything no, about this album is long. <laughs> yeah. No. So again, the lore hurt this album. You know. Gotcha. All right. So I don't have a lot to say about number five. Uh, except just the heavy guitars that really open the track up and the drum fills on this on that album on this song excuse me on this song which i heard i've heard forever but i hear it a lot better in headphones the drum fills are frequent and they're a really nice touch. They're not, they're not overused and drum fills are not something that you really hear as often as they use them on this song ever, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So that's my big takeaway on this one. It's a good song. It's not a standout song to me on this one, but number yeah. six is Blood Red Summer. Love Blood Red Summer. Now, the video for Blood Red Summer was very strange. The uh, bassist at the time, Michael Todd, or Mick Todd, uh, is the original bassist for the the band. Uh, He got kicked out of the band when, on tour, he broke into a pharmacy to steal Oxy, I think. Yep, yep. So, it's one of my favorites. It's just a damn good song. But the video, again, was uh, Claudio boarding up a uh, cabin in the woods as yeah, it's like Todd. a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, but like up. like a werewolf sort of thing. I don't know. It was kind of an an odd thing. Yeah. And the thing about this band is like almost all of their songs actually are, or excuse me, almost all their videos are like connected to the story. That's where they put in more of the lore and all. But this album, all the videos for this album had nothing to do with it, as far as I could put together, and were just kind of odd choices. Even the album before this, Second Stage Turbine Blade, had a couple videos 
but they were fine videos, but the videos for this were just a weird selection. So you would think that being so story driven that mm-hmm. they would use the visual component to add to that as opposed to just coming up with different ideas. Oh, know? later they do for sure. Later That's- they they very much so do. But this is one of my favorites on this album. Yeah, this it's, is it's um, a fun pop punk song. Yeah, I like this. it's a much more straightforward song. Yep, and the guitars drop in and out of tone. You know the the distortion changes constantly, and it never gets tiresome. It is a lighter song, but which is a good choice for them because the dark tone of the crowning before it, yeah, it, it was needed. So. You know, and I think that might be one of the reasons why I don't really have a lot to say about the crowning because it's not a standout track to me on this album. When yeah. Blood Red Summer, right behind it, is so good, and Three Evils, right before it, was so good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the crowning's good, but it's not great, in my opinion. So, Summer of Love off of Omaha Sessions is five minutes, six seconds. Loose off of Grassroots was, is four minutes, 17 seconds. And Use of Time off of Transistor is four minutes, 24 seconds. All of which are longer than this song. I make it a point. Yeah, you're proving my point. You're picking the shortest songs off of Coheed to compare to the longest songs by 311. It's no. 311 doesn't have a record that's over an hour long. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not my fault that they are shooting for no longer than their than their band name for a song, three minutes eleven seconds. For as much spacey weird shit 311 is in, they've just never decided to make a Star Wars space opera record. (laughs) Okay, so what I will say for 311 is I've seen 311 live more times than I uh, actually ever intended to. I actually went and saw opening bands more and just ended up staying for 311. And and, um, Cody and Cambria, I've actually seen them uh, nine times now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, I, I have. They've been a part of festivals and all, which I'm going to see them yeah. again in September. They're going to be at Blue Ridge. So, yeah, fun. Yeah, nice. So, 311 does a really, really good job of using the live performance time to really flesh out these longer songs and all. And that is a lot of fun, especially Applied Science. Their drum solo during Applied Science is a lot of fun. But we will talk more about 311 <laughs> as you oh, bring yeah. forward oh. a 311 album. Yeah, and, and we will. We will. I've I've often, like... Of course, I would love to do a 311 record, and it's just a matter of which one that I would want to do like a deep dive on because I, I feel like, especially not to get way off on a tangent yeah. real quick, um, but like if you are of a certain age, you think of 311 as this aggro rap rock 90s adrenaline thing, or if you're younger, you think of 311 as this super chill reggae island vibe thing and they're really both of those things and so much more and to pinpoint an album that captures all of that is is kind of tough but as what happens when a band's been around for 30 plus years (laughs) and i will dive more into the positive and negative things i have to say about 311 because i've actually got more positive things to say about them than you probably think but you know it's encouraging yeah yeah all right now, the part of the album that is, in my opinion... <laughs> the Camper Valorium section? Yes. So, uh, it's kind of an odd thing because the album says the Camper Valorium, but then they say Valorium Camper, and it's a weird thing as far as that goes. Yeah, it's... It is I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know or care, but... So, almost all their albums have a section, if not a couple sections, with what I've come to figure out are movements. And one of the most overrated albums of our time, Francis the Mute. <laughs> I not a Mars Volta fan, even though yeah, I have that, that album. So Yeah, that's another one of those bands. Like I liked that the drive in, so I was willing to give them a shot, but I just but I think we actually said it before at the drive in spit out two bands, Sparta and the Mars Volta and Sparta's the better the better they one, are. So agreed. So the Camper Valorium is a section of the album with movements. Each song is a different part of the story. And the thing about it is the first and second parts 
are fine. Uh, the first part's good. I like the first song, The Faint of Hearts. My love. The anxious through the coming storm, you'll sit as you pray for rain. I like it. The second and third, they're okay. And I could, and I, I want to hit all of them as one section because to me they are one section. So let me just say, the the first section, I like the guitar. It gave me a very Brian May Queen vibe. Mm-hmm. But the cuckoo kachoo, I am the walrus repetition kept sort of pulling me out of it. I'm not sure why they kept doing it. There's probably a reason. I'm sure there is. There is. But just, just as a casual listener, it was distracting. So what I learned later is that part was actually supposed to be more in the background than it actually is. And in the story, there's a character that, you know, says cuckoo-cachoo. That's, yeah, figured. Yeah. But you don't know that here. And so that's another place where I say the lore hurts the album to a, a bigger fan like myself. It didn't phase me. It, it's one just, of those things that's like you, it, for me, it makes me wish I was listening to the Beatles and that's probably not what Coheed wanted. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But you know, the three part suite, as we call this, yeah. it, you know, or as this is called, this is a thing that Coheed does. It, it mm-hmm. just is. And the first song of this, Faint of Hearts, while the Goo Goo yes, I, I get that. It, it could take you out. If you were to pull that out of the song, everything else in the song is great. The guitar, bass, and drums all stand separately on their own here. And the thing is, is that I heard the guitar and drums and the voice, of course, you hear his voice all the time. I heard all those all the time. It wasn't until I put on headphones and really sat down and listened to it that the bass really stood out to me. And then I hear it all the time after that. But the guitar intro is great. You know, it's it's really a very well-crafted song. But the Goo Goo is one of the things that actually, like we had talked about before, you know, there there's going to be certain things that pull a casual listener out. And if you're a casual listener that also is familiar with things like the Beatles catalog, then yeah, it's going to pull you out of it. It's just going to. I love this song, though. I mean, this is this is a great song to me. But the second and third parts, they're okay. But that first song is my favorite. So the last minute of two is just an unneeded part. several of the ones before it's just an unneeded like circus dinging sort of thing yeah and and that's when he kind of the the screaming is happening right um i I'll be- say there's only- i believe that's three three has like the screaming like the distorted vocals uh, okay I, th- I think two has a little bit of it but okay. honestly like two and three have always kind of not really stuck out to me on this album yeah. They're not the strongest tracks in my opinion but i mean i think they're still fine but it's also oh, one of those things that made a lot more sense once I read the story as to why three was even there. So, yeah. And honestly, like there's, there's a couple of tracks where there's some screaming in there and it, it feels forced. It doesn't feel like natural, you know, Uh, again, I have the impression and I think you will, you know, agree with me on this. Everything that is done on this record and subsequent records later is 100% intentional. Mm-hmm. And yep. if, if it sounds weird to me, it's probably meant to sound weird. Okay. And so here's what I'll say about the screaming before we go yeah. any further and about the whole, it's meant to sound weird. So the bassist they had, uh, Michael Todd, he was a great bassist, but he was not a great screamer by any means. And now I love a good scream. You you talked about screaming before, and I love a good scream, but I love a good scream that's very well done and very well placed. You can't just be a you can't just be a guy that screams, and that's what Michael Todd is. Yeah. The basis they have now is much better, and it's almost like his scream 
that he does now should have been what it was here, but it was almost like this was all they had. And so they put it on. And, and so that's my defense for it is that's what I feel like. It was just, it was what they had. So they put it here. It was the best they could, they could do as a band. And so they put it here. And I don't think Claudio wanted to scream because he's a vocalist. He's a singer. And I don't think he's a singer and screamer type person. So yeah, I mean, he kind of lives in that higher and register all the time. And the scream doesn't go along with that. So, and then we get to a favor house Atlantic. This is probably the song that I discovered Coheed on. And Most people did, yeah. Yeah. And this is probably the one that made all my friends buy the album and then play it nonstop around me for a couple of years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so easily the most popular Coheed song in the band's entire catalog. This is an earworm. And so I think you're right. I think it was the reason why your friends bought it. This was an earlier song that I heard. I think this was, I don't even know if I heard this album before I bought it. I think I was just such a fan of Sega Stage Turbine Blade and seeing after seeing them, you know, I think two or three times at this point that when the day this album came out, I bought it. I bought it, now, you know, unheard, sight unheard. <laughs> as I'm saying this, there is a good chance that somebody had the Turbine Blade record before this one. Yeah. And I might have heard some of that. I haven't listened to that in forever. So if I go back and listen to it, I might recognize a little bit. But this one, obviously, this song, it makes sense that they would release this song as a single, especially in 2003. This slots in perfect with what was going on. And I think it was smart, too, because they didn't hide anything. The lyrics are very kind of nonsensical if you don't know the lore and the story mm-hmm. you're not going to know what's going on but i mean a lot of those bands like you brought up earlier the early november the starting line or fallout boy their lyrics didn't make a whole lot of sense most of the time either so the music speaks for itself and it this was i think a smart marketing move by them to bring in fans and once they bought the record I'm sure a couple people were like, okay, this is a little too weird for me. I'm not digging it. But I I'm, I bet most people were like, oh, this is actually different than all these other records I have. I like this. So A Favorite House Atlantic, when this album came out and I heard this song, I was like, this is a fine song. I told you that in the last 20 years, this album has been something that has grown with me and has evolved. And I've love this album differently at different points in time. And this song is a song that has never grown with me. And I think it's the weakest point in their entire catalog. I do not like this song. Now, this is a song that I will skip. I get why it's here after reading the story. It makes a hell of a lot more sense. Even the name makes a lot more sense, but this is a song that I could skip and be okay. To bring it back to the three eleven thing, Amber, I can die a happy man never hearing that damn song again. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick and tired of it. But you I love that it. album. I love that album. Right. And I get why that became the popular song. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's not a and I think you'll agree with me with a favor house Atlantic. It's not that it doesn't sound like the band, right. but it doesn't properly capture them. Yeah, it doesn't expand on the on what they're best at. It's good enough, and you get why it brings people in, but it's also sort of like the bare minimum. Say, same with just about any band that has a couple of like one or two big radio songs. Crazy Town, Butterfly. Guess what? None of their stuff sounds like that song. Right. Yeah. Sugar Ray, Fly. None of their stuff yeah. sounded like that until that song became popular. Especially all the album popular. before that. Oh my God. Yeah. Lord, do that yeah. album. We will do that album. But yeah. anyway. Not a big Sugar Ray fan, but that album, that first album was actually a fairly decent album. But yeah, um, so that that song is one that 
I'm fine with just kind of leaving out of life in general. And I don't know if it has to do with the fact that, you know, there was a part of me in the beginning that was very much in a place of like, this is my band. This is not your band. This is my band. You're going to listen to that one song and that's it. That is your song. The rest of the album is mine. Get out. No, I, I don't know. I was very territorial with certain things and this is one of them. I'm not that place anymore. I'm not that man now, monster. <laughs> it's it's funny, man. The the correlation between that and and the not just Amber, but Love Song by Three Eleven as yep. well. Those two, like so many people, base their entire opinion on a band that they do not know off of the one or two songs they've heard on the radio, and it's it's one of those things that you just want to shake them and be like, no, 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 you're missing out, like. Oh, I don't really like pop punk. Well, that's not what Coheed is. It's just that song. You right. need to listen to more. Right. You know, like I, and, I feel like I get it. Actually, you you just hit on a couple things right within that where Coheed is a band that if you're not listening, if you're not listening to the album, if you're not listening to more than just that one song, then you're missing out on a lot of things they have to offer. You're, you're missing out on so much. Now, I think that a person that wants to do a deeper dive and, you know, read the story and all that, you're going to get a much bigger experience. I mean, it's taken the concept album in a whole new direction, and I think that's great. But if you're just a casual listener, listen to more than just that one thing. And yeah. I always hated it when people would buy an album for the one or two songs that are on the radio. And then they get the album. They're like, this album sucks. No, the album doesn't suck. The album's a good album. You're just expecting your expectations were wrong for what you were getting. And and again, like if you want an album that is 12, 13 songs that all sound the same, like what are you doing? Like, right. And a good band I, doesn't I, produce every song sounds the same. Yeah. Some of my favorite records, you, you know, there is, there is such a thing as going too far. And every song sounds like a different band. I don't love that. Yeah. But it's but, a fine line. You know, and, and I'm sure we'll do this album at some point too. But like a, a good example of this is Third Eye Blind's first record. I think a lot of people bought that album. Now, granted, they released more singles uh, because it was such a popular record. But when people first heard Semi Charmed Life, I think they were expecting a very bright, poppy, fun filled record. And it is not. There are some. No, it's not. God, there is even some that stuff song. In that album. That's, no, yeah, lyrically, yeah, Ooh, yeah, for and sure. That song is another one that will go into our book of songs that are sound happy, songs that sound happy but are not happy songs. Exactly. So if you miss but, the crystal meth in the middle of the song, <laughs> then you miss the song. So, oh yeah, there's lots of stuff going on in that song. But oh, yeah, but Coheed, Coheed is one of those bands that I think, to your point. Not only just listening to more than just one song, but this was a record for me that, uh, first of all, I didn't listen to this album without headphones. I had headphones on during each listen okay. because I feel like that's probably the best way to do it. The more absorbed in it you can be, mm -hmm. I think the more you get out of it. Right. So, okay. Uh, before we, I'm going to give my yeah, headphone assessment we'll in a minute. Um, Okay, what I feel like should have been the end of the of the album. Now there is the uh, a lot of nothingness. I think it was called. I have it written down here. Hang on. It was um, after this song, which is a nine minute forty minute or forty second song. So it is a long song. I'll leave the light on. Not the entire thing repeated, I will say that. But then there is um, tracks 2 to 22 on the album were listed as a lot of nothing. And um, and it's only on the albums that's actually listed. Uh, digitally on Spotify, it's just cut out entirely. It's just listed as 2113. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's. I thought that was a rush homage. No, I thought that's no. what they were doing there. Okay. And, and I can see exactly why you would think that. And yeah, 
when I later became more familiar with Rush, I thought the same thing. I was like, is there something to that? But actually what it is, is that if you were to add up all the time of a lot of nothing, and then the time for that song, it comes out to be 21 minutes, 13 seconds. Good Lord. Yeah. Okay. But, um, and it's just, it's just track after track after track of, you know, six to 10 seconds of silence. And, and again, only listed on the album, on the CD, the vinyl. And if you actually get the CD, the first time I listened to it and I got to that section, it was like, I just watched my CD player just like count over and over. And it was, I had a similar thought that you did when you listened to uh, the corn album where it was like, you thought it was yeah. broken. So, but that last track 21, 13, it's a weird ending to it. And I feel like it's one that could have been left off and played live. I feel like it's lore. It's, it's hurt. You know, huh, the lore hurts. I feel like about half that song is a good song. Yeah. I, I will say we skipped over the light in the glass. Yeah. Which I was going to go back I'll- to. Well, because I was going to say that that might be my least favorite. The I, light in the I, glass. I was, yeah, really? not a fan of that one. Yeah, not a fan. I, um, it's actually one of my favorites off of the album. It starts off really pretty, but it's just so damn long, and it gets weird around like the five and a half minute mark, mm-hmm. and it's a little more interesting. But it stays that like kind of slow, draggy mid tempo that I kind of I kind of lose interest. But on the flip side, twenty one thirteen or whatever is that what it's called? Okay, it, yeah. So so digitally, it's twenty one thirteen. I don't remember what it was actually called on the album. I I don't know why I didn't go look at the album. I have it upstairs. But <laughs> um, digitally, it's twenty one thirteen, and then it's a lot of nothing before that. So literally, it, it's a lot of nothing. <laughs> I, I like this one a little bit more because it just was a little weirder. And then around the five and a half minute mark, it started giving me kind of yes, rush, proggy yep. rock vibes there that I just, I found more interesting, I guess. And I guess that's where I say like half of the song is good because it, it is that, you know, it yeah. does, does put that in there. So, okay. I do want to talk about the light in the glass one of my favorites off of the album. And I feel like would have been a strong closer for the album. I would have, I would have maybe flipped these two. Okay. Not, I'm not going to argue with you. I think maybe flip the two and then, uh, 21, 13, maybe kind of shorten it and take out some of the weirdness of it. Like I'm not, I'm not against weirdness in a song or, or anything like that. I just, I not for so much of it, you know, I don't know, but all right, my best description of the light in the glass is uh, it starts as a hauntingly beautiful song, just acoustic guitar. Just I get that it carries on for a long time, but and it should be surprising that I do love this one. But it does start with that soft guitar, and this shows that Claudio can hold his own as a vocalist because you hear him. Yes, oh, he is. He is still in that high register, but he is actually like, you know, he's. He's able to use his voice in a heavier song, but then also with a slower acoustic song. And then it turns on a bit of distortion and there's a harmony in the chorus. And then it's like the song builds and then falls and then builds and falls. And it actually, it builds up to three minutes, 26 seconds. And then it falls into him just repeating liar over and over again. And then it's like all hell broke loose at four minutes, 30 seconds. And then it could have ended at eight minutes, 41 seconds, but then they had to put on the last 45 seconds, seconds that weren't needed. And, you know, I think that that would have been a great closer for the album. Cause in, to me, it showed the wide range of variety that Coheed actually is. Yeah. And it actually closed out, the song like it was like the way that it kind of faded out was great in my opinion it's a great song great 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 it's all my words great great <laughs> so i disagree but that's fine <laughs> yeah no so all right 
standouts on the album to me, Blood Red Summer, In Keeping Secrets, and Three Evils, and uh, The Light and the Glass. But all of those for really different reasons, but that makes sense for a band that has so many different sounds. So sure. Yeah. Do you have any standouts Uh, or do you want me to edit this part out? (laughs) No, that's fine. Uh, I liked cuts marked in the March of men and three evils a lot. I like when they get a little more straightforward pop punk with like blood red summer and a favor house Atlantic, but I could see why those wouldn't be a diehards favorites. You know what I mean? Because they are the, the more uh, radio friendly. Yeah. I think there's a certain group of Coheed fans that pride themselves on being able to dig through the denseness that a casual fan, you know, they listen to the, the happy songs and, you know, you guys are like, man, you don't get it. <laughs> well, see, that's, that's the thing. I know that there are the Coheed fans that are elitist and have that, like, you don't get it. And every, every fan base does. Right. And while, yes, I am a diehard fan, I am not a diehard elitist fan by any means. Yes, I will sit here and say, you don't get it. But I say, you don't get it because you haven't dove into it. Right. You like the band for what they are and for what they sound like as a casual listener. But, you know, it, it's not your cup of tea. No big deal. We move on. And I'm not going to sit here and, you know, put you down and say, you're not smart enough for it. Like people would say, you're not smart enough to understand Rick and Morty. I'm like, it's a cartoon, man. Get get over it. It's an animated show. It's one of those things. Like, I don't like to use, I I heard this on a different podcast and I, I concur. I don't like using the word pretentious because I feel like pretentious is a fancy word for saying it's really complicated and I don't get it. So you're doing too much. That's, that's fair. So I don't like to use that word. To me, this album is a little too much. Like, I like some proggy stuff, but I have to kind of be in the mood for it. And it has to have parts that really hook me. And the songs that I gravitated towards the most on this record were on the shorter end of that spectrum. I I like a song that has a lot of movements and, you know, I keep bringing it up. But like 311, for example... They will have these proggy moments in a four minute song, you know, and I prefer that to a song that has proggy moments, but takes nine, 10, 12 minutes to execute. So I'm not going to say that Coheed is a pretentious band. I'm going to say that Coheed is a band that merges a lot of different styles and an album that they put out is not going to, the entire album is not going to be for everybody the album is going to have songs that are for different people. I think that more people would be a bigger fan if they gave the, the album as a whole, a bigger chance. I think that there are a lot of pretentious, you're going to use your word pretentious fans because they have a need to put something on a higher pedestal. Yeah. So now you listen to this album in headphones. My assessment of that is this is not a headphones required album, but you're going to get more out of it if you listen to it through headphones, yeah. you know, and I'm not going to say any headphones because if you just listen to it through a pair of AirPods, which are not bad headphones by any means, yeah. but a good pair of headphones, you know, if you don't own a good pair of headphones and you're a music fan, then get yourself a good pair of headphones because you're going to do yourself a disservice by not having them. I have to have over the ear. I, I can't yeah, do, I do any, any sort of thing that goes in my ear, even when I'm playing on stage with in-ear monitors, so annoying like i can never get them to like stay in and lock in and sound good so i do have a pair of uh earbuds for just doing certain things um Mm -hmm. and it's really just kind of block out other things because over ears will make my ears sweat so that's true but all right want to give my statement on this album coheed and cambria continues to combine metal pop and sometimes punk on in keeping secrets the higher end of the register vocals of Claudio are off-putting to most, but can be a hurdle to greatness on songs like the Valorium camper one faint of hearts and blood red summer, such a mouthful of titles. Um, Mm. the vocals combined with pop slash metal can bring out the influences of queen or the cars fans like bands of yes, Emerson, like a Palmer rush and pretty much 
every other prog rock band will love Coheed and Cambria if they give them a full, proper chance. However, their sound is closer to prog rock bands like Dream Theater, but they put a much heavier sound into the genre of progressive rock. The trouble with Coheed is they are too emo for the prog rock crowd and too prog rock for most other crowds. Coheed, on the earlier mentioned influential bands, could cut down the length of songs. They hurt this album with the added bits on many of the excellently excellently crafted songs with Tagalong of Lore. That's what I was calling it. Tagalong <laughs> of Lore. Because it's just a little thing at the end of the song. Just Tagalong. Anyway, the production on In Keeping Secrets is unmistakable and amazing. The double tracking of guitars gave such a metal touch um, on cuts marked in the March of Men and the crowning, but production holds back, keeping the record a safe second outing for Coheed. Coheed is best when mixing emo with the late sounds, with the sounds of late 70s, early 80s prog timing and metal with metal-esque flavors. In Keeping Secrets pushes Coheed and Cambria to make an epic record but the album overall is hurt by the need to tell too much story. But I gave this album a nine. So mine's a lot shorter than that. But uh, uh, I, I, and after I wrote it, I went upstairs. I wrote that summary last night. I went yeah. upstairs, and and uh, the lady said, "You okay?" I was like, "I could write fifty pages on yeah. Coheed on this album, easy." <laughs> so uh, so I'll, I'll I'll read my little statement. I've said some of this throughout our conversation, but um. I'd heard this album a lot when it first came out. I was in a band that was taking uh, inspiration from these guys as well as other bands from that scene, uh, such as The Used, Story of the Year, Seosin, Chiodos, Finch, all those guys. But Coheed's vocal delivery, as well as the concept record and lyrical content, always made them stick out. They were the proggy stepbrother of those other kind of emo, quote unquote, scene band. They were as much Rush and Zeppelin as they were the starting line or fallout boy i'm not a huge fan of long songs unless they are really interesting if it's just five to ten minutes of just a couple of parts repeating over and over i, I start to get bored uh this album has a lot of long songs and some of them work for me and some just have parts that i like there's no questioning the talent and creativity on display throughout the record the real question is just a matter of taste I think it's a good record, but I don't see it being for everybody. And I feel like it falls right in the middle for me. So one to 10, I give it about a five. Okay. That's fair. I think more people should give Coheed a chance, but give Coheed a chance in full. Now, overall, yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, to, to piggyback off of that, as the person you are talking to right now, as a person who loves discovering new music, has not given a lot of, you know, credence to Coheed, I am glad that I did this because this is not exactly what I was expecting. So did I love it? No. But did I find it interesting? Hell yeah. And I think that a lot of people ought to do that. Just, hey, it takes a long time. It's an hour long. Put it on while you're working or whatever. Just let it kind of wash over you, and you might be surprised. This might be for somebody who thinks it's not for them. Right. And one of the things I will say about Kohi that I haven't said yet is I think that they have progressively gotten better over their time together, except for that one album that they thought the story was done, and it wasn't, and it's it's the weakest album overall. We're not going to talk about it. But yeah, I, I think that they have gotten better. And I think it's because they've been able to kind of uh, mature and grow within their sound and and really develop it. And then also, um, Claudio has a side project, uh, The Prize Fighter Inferno, where it's almost like he and and it it's great. I actually really enjoy it. It's a lot more acoustic electro sort of deal. And and what I really like about when he started it is he kind of took that project as a place to tell more story. And so later albums aren't hurt by the need to tell more story because he's telling it. Okay. And That's so, neat... and he's also got a really good song called Elm street lover boy about nightmare on Elm street. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Anyway, wrong with that. all right, monster. What are we talking about next week? So next week, it's kind of interesting 
I think these two bands share a lot in common in a lot of ways. But next week, we'll be discussing Sleep Token's first full-length record, Sundowning. Got some longer songs, got a lot of lore to explore, but a very different tonality. And actually, I, to- I said earlier that Coheed's playing at Blue Ridge. Sleep Token's actually playing the same day as them at Blue Ridge. So as And at the time of this recording, Sleep Token's newest album, I think it's called Return to Eden or Welcome Back to Eden, something with Eden, it will be coming out later this week. So, well, I uh, I will do that. I'm pretty sure that one's going to be put out of my house on repeat. But okay, until next week, where we we, uh, dive into Sleep Token. And as I understand it, we offer uh, uh, worship is what they call their concert. I don't know. We'll dive into that. But all right. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. Good morning and have a good day at work. Later.